welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. I'm your host, Courtney Hansen, author, creatrix, NLP coach, hypnotherapist, and Reiki master, yoga instructor, and meditation expert. As seen on Fox, CBS, NBC, and CEO Medium, I am here to guide you into the duality of life and step into the sweetest little life that is right in front of you by empowering you to heal, step into purpose, and become the divine inner goddess that you were destined to be. Hello and happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week and I could not be more thrilled for our guest tonight on the show. We have a doctor who left her practice to create her own healing modalities, pursue coaching, pursue training, pursue her own passion and purpose. She is truly an inspiration and going to really delve deep into holistic healing today, into Ayurveda, into all of her practices and share with you some tips that are truly life-changing. I am so excited to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, so pumped for today's conversation. So I always like to just cue off and hear your story, your why. So this is something that I have actually is still a work in progress, as I'm sure you you hear from a number of your different guests. Um, I had a lot of fun going back and listening to some of your um, podcast guests in, in recent months. And I'm an internal medicine physician who in my early 20s, when I was in my pre-med days, had a sort of interesting awakening that I realized that healing was more than what I was probably going to be taught through my standard education. And I basically started a parallel track of learning so that I can really serve people to understand where vitality came from, what actually brings us balance and what takes us out of balance. And so um, vis-a-vis a fairly long journey, I completed a residency in internal medicine at the Mayo Clinic went on to subspecialize in integrative medicine through a fellowship, internal medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. But that wasn't quite enough for me because I wanted to be in the 45th grade. So I went on to study. Um, I went through a yoga teacher training, a Reiki master training, and several years of full-time study at the Ayurvedic Institute with Dr. Vasant Ladd in Albuquerque, New Mexico in India. And I've been a contributor at one of the primary integrative medicine fellowships. So I've been, my big purpose and my big why is to really support intuitive and empathic healers on their journey to um, feel whole in their own practice. And so I was in clinical medicine until 2018. And then I pivoted to do more coaching and support that sort of is, um, as I think exists for a lot of coaches in a place where the lines are not as clear as to uh, what's the standard, what's normal, and where I can really just exist and bring in all the different pathways of learning that I've had and modalities to figure out how to support people. So that's primarily what I'm up to. It's been quite a journey, to say the least. I love that. So was there... A turning point? Like, what was that point when you were just practicing medicine that you were like, there's more? Well, you know, it's it's so fascinating because back when I was in the pre-med time, I definitely had a feeling there was more. But I kept thinking, maybe I can be a contributor in a positive way. And I imagine there are other 
you know, other people like that who feel the same way. They exist in a system for a long time thinking, I can be a positive agent of change until you realize that the system isn't going to change you know, or mm. the time frame it's going to take to change is no longer sustainable for the growth that you're having as an individual. And that happened for me uh, probably around 2017 or so when the big um, primary care company I was working for want, had hired me to help in their primary care department and also to help them develop an integrative medicine department. And when they transitioned with some internal leadership shifts away entirely from that focus, I think I knew the writing on the wall, which was basically this was my this was going to be my best shot at finding a a home for the work that I really wanted to do. And, and it was just too progressive for them at that time. Yeah. And so I really said, OK, I'm going to step back. And, you know, I did have to do a fair amount of internal process and healing because it was a really disappointing and grief-filled realization for me. It's a big career to walk away from medicine. So you invest a lot of time and a lot of, you know, not just time, but financial uh, reserve to get to that place in your career. And then to basically say, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. It was shocking to say the least to a lot of my friends and family. Oh, I, yeah, I couldn't even imagine the pivot and the bravery that that took from you because that is like a quarter of your life is in school there. Exactly. And it's insane. Yeah, exactly. And not just like in school, but j like focus, like the mm. the sum of your focus, like through through your 20s, you sacrifice a lot, you know, nurses, PAs, uh, nutritionists, everybody who goes through those clinical pathways, they they're on call. It's long hours of study when other people are out having, you know, different interests and focus that are not just notes in front of books or on computers. And you, you know, for years I took call, which meant I worked holidays, weekends, nights, which I'm sure you can understand as well with your husband. Yeah. So, you know, you get to a certain point where you think, oh, should ideally this career might give back to me, but I found it was it was a hard moment to really sit with that and say, this is a career that's only going to take from me, even though I loved my patients, I loved the clinical work, the bureaucracy and the administrative pieces make it largely unsustainable. And unfortunately, there's an, this isn't even an exaggeration, an approximate 60 to 70% burnout rate mm. in clinical environment right now, especially in primary care. Oh, and I can imagine now more than ever, too. Oh, the stories, I can't really oh. go into a lot of detail because they're private Facebook yeah. groups, but I just implore people to understand that clinicians, wherever people stand in terms of their own choices and, and practices around what's happening, it's so important to recognize that there are a group of healers who've been taxed to the point of, you know, can they be the same person after this event? That's what I'm hearing right now. It's like so difficult to maintain and keep up when they're so dramatically busy in their, especially in the inpatient environments and they're making decisions they never imagined making. So again, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to really fully say, you know, what's right for another person. But I do think it's important to, at least if as best we all can to recognize how much stress those people are, that work in that inpatient environment are under 
and many of them are, you know, coming to the to a you know a cross in the road, saying, "If I don't start feeling better, I'm going to walk away," which is something I can actually uniquely relate to, but under very different circumstances. Right. So out of all the things, there are so many modalities for healing. Um, and it's, you know, I love that quote, hurt people hurt and he- and healed people heal, because I feel like you really do have to walk on your own path to realize your passion within healing and realize how powerful that is. So what made you really draw towards Ayurveda? Because I personally am a huge advocate. I think that Ayurveda saved my life and so many ways and I wish I was introduced to it as a child Mm. versus finding out about it in my 30s because it is life-changing. Well the beautiful thing about Ayurveda is and I was introduced to it in my pre-med days so I had a you know as as do most people some sort of call healing crisis that there was more to more than what what I was learning more than what was being presented to me and I love to sort of lament that I grew up in a very standard American household. I'm 49. So that meant I grew up with MTV and three cable channels <laughs> and lived yes. in the soup and I played soccer and field hockey. And, you know, it was, you know, MTV, Madonna, you know, the whole thing. And not nowhere was consciousness or even any sort of metaphysical study or anything even remotely to do with Ayurveda introduced into my, into my, and I grew up in a suburb of Washington, DC in a fairly um, sophisticated, you know, environment. It wasn't like I was not exposed to things, but these principles were, um, you know, for a long time, they were more reserved for ashrams and yoga communities until really recent years. But I happened to work at a metaphysical bookstore in college, I took a semester off. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I want to be a naturopath. Maybe I want to be an acupuncturist. Yeah. And, um, you know, ultimately found my way back. But uh, I was working in this bookstore and picked up a book from my teacher, Dr. Vasant Ladd. So I was probably 21 years old. And it was though I was reading things that felt so familiar and intuitive to me as though I had, mm. you know, I had I had been looking at patterns already, but not in such a conscious or focused way. And what I'd like to explain to people who may not be as familiar with Ayurveda is that it it started as an oral tradition. And in the, if you will, Western traditions, you know, often people say, well, is there evidence for Ayurveda? And I like to say, well, we do say that case reports are valid evidence-based medicine, not the same as double-blind, placebo, et cetera. But Ayurveda was basically millions of case studies that went on generation to generation. And largely those observations led to deep and profound pattern recognition at the mind-body-spirit level. And they developed terminology to help convey shifts and changes in those patterns that are occurring at any of those levels. And so for me, it became, it has become the most powerful tool in my toolbox for understanding how to maintain vitality, how to protect health, how to Mm. return to health when out of balance. And in the integrative model, we're not against the use of surgery or pharmaceuticals, but using the Ayurvedic lifestyle principles first, many things can be treated or reversed 
And that's actually a fundamental pillar of lifestyle medicine, which is a growing and evolving section of just standard uh, medicine. It's the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a, a remarkable mirror to Ayurveda, as I like to say. It's uh, yeah. So it's time that the time has come where medicine is starting to realize medical practices. Physicians are really starting to appreciate the value of deep sleep, stress reduction, mindfulness, um, utilizing community and connection, having a spiritual practice, financial health, movement, you know, you know, core body of nutrition, depending on how one's own body and resources are aligned to what's best. I I never actually think one size fits all, to be honest, Mm. you know, each person, and that's the beauty of Ayurveda is that you never try to superimpose the same protocol, the same procedure with the, with two different people. It's always a little bit different based on their age, their digestive capacity, their, if you will, genetic, epigenetic patterns. It's a very powerful tool. And I'm, I'm very excited to be inspiring physicians in the classical pathway to get excited about it from a research standpoint, from a self-realization standpoint. And uh, I feel very blessed to, to be part of that uh, mission at this point and that focus that's happening. That is so amazing. And I, I just love how vast it is. And I can so relate when you say, you know, you just, it, it's so easy. You start researching one thing and that's exactly what I did. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to be a Reiki master and that's, that's what I want to do. And then I started doing that and I got really drawn into the health aspect of it. And I was like, no, I need to do my 500 hour yoga. And then that dropped me into the Ayurveda and researching that. And it's like, you know, the depth of it is just never ending because like you said, it's not one size fits all, but it truly is finding that balance within our bodies to be able to operate at what is our best. And what my best is, is not your best and vice versa. And so allowing ourselves permission to explore different healing modalities that work and realize that it's not one size fits all, because I think we're so ingrained to know, you know, oh, you're depressed, here's Prozac, you're this, here's that, versus knowing that there are other options out there. And there is so much exploration within the health field. So what you're doing, I just get chills. It's <laughs> so amazing. Like, it's just awesome. And then you're inspiring all these people. And I just see in our world right now, just as a collective in the in Western medicine, there's, there's just so much expansion happening. Yeah. There really is. And I love your journey. It's so, it's so impressive. (laughs) Yeah. And, and your experience with Ayurveda, did you do some formal study yourself as well? Yeah. So I actually went to a six month course on it. Um, cause, uh, and for me, it was really for selfish reasons. I had all of these health issues that were continuing to pop up for me. I had postpartum with my third, I was just depressed. I had all of these skin things happening. Um, and I just didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I knew I was missing something because overall I was like, okay, I'm healthy, but I just feel like this empty void inside and it wasn't spiritual. It wasn't, it it wasn't anything that I could put my finger on. And so someone had suggested to me, a girlfriend within my yoga class, she was like, you know what? I think if you were to actually dive into Ayurveda, it would change your life. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I was like, I think I want to be a naturopath. I think that's my next journey I'm going to do with Mm -hmm. school. And she's like, just look at this first and see what you think. And if it resonates, 
and I, and I started delving into the three types and I was like, and then I got into it for my kids and my oldest was diagnosed with autism and he was incorrectly diagnosed. And we started shifting things with nutrition and just small little things within Ayurveda, like the tongue scraping and mm-hmm. all these things. And he started to have more energy and have more clarity and have more control of his emotions and his impulses. And I just had this like, oh shit moment of how real this was. And I was the same way. I wanted the scientific proof. I needed to know like how this was backed up and how this was, you know, um, informed for actual to be able to tell the doctor, like, I think you diagnosed him wrong. Mm. And I didn't want to go in sounding uneducated. Right. And so I just started studying though. And my mind was just blown. And now we incorporate in just small stuff into our morning routine from it. And it's been life-changing. Like, I know people say, oh, it's a game-changer. It's life-changing. But it truly <laughs> did change our lives. Right. And I think that's the the power of everyone who sort of, I like to say, is all in with Ayurveda. You yes. don't have to be all in. But when you no. go all in, boy, the changes come left and right. It's undeniable. And I think what... I think the intersection is understanding the epigenetics. So epigenetics, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but just in case someone isn't, is, you know, that's the machinery that turns genes on and off. Mm. And and genes are not our destiny. You may recall, remember when when we, I, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but remember the time in life when it was like, when they sequence the genome, we're going to have every cue about what our health destiny is. And when they finished that, <laughs> they were like, oh, by the way, we were wrong. <laughs> that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And then they started looking at um, epigenetics, which is sort of the patterning around how cells, uh, how genes actually are being expressed. So these are things that impact us so directly because it's how neurotransmitters are made. It's how Mm. cells communicate with each other. It's how our metabolism and inflammatory pathways work. And so I believe, I truly believe that these epigenetic levers, if you will, that Ayurveda pulls, like if you're having a, a morning routine which to me is like the game changer. Once you Mm. get that steady morning routine in place, life really does start to shift. And, um, but you start seeing how the circadian rhythm improves, sleep improves. Mm -hmm. You start seeing the autonomic nervous system starts to relax in different ways. The neurohormonal system seems to be less difficult to regulate. And these are all from all these tiny decisions that are being made to, exhale, to be present with the breath, to elevate the mind, to um, wake up the senses in the morning, to do particular breath exercises, to move the body, to uh, nourish the body and the digestive capacity, the Agni, so that as the sun rises, the body's sort of coming online. And we're dysrhythmic from that natural state. And to me, Ayurveda is one of the few tools that is so prescriptively uh, leading us back to be in synchronicity with that internal rhythm. There's so few other tools that um, have it so clearly laid out. And recently, I've been doing this really big deep dive into neuroscience and trying to really pull the science in for principles I learned. And there is some incredible neuroscience happening that confirms the value of 
early morning light for the you know these intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells you know these 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 things that we need to have the blue light blocking at night and then we need the um the other cells that wake us up in the morning and tell us hey optic flow starting circadian rhythm is starting so again the science is so attuned and i think we're just going to see more and more that the principles deeply held in these ancient you know 2500 year old textbooks written in sanskrit will be vetted and validated and perhaps even refined you know i'm not a dogmatic person some people might disagree with me on this but <laughs> yes, this is just my scientific inquiry that not the principles themselves are of course not uh, unchanging but our interpretation of them can be enhanced by modern neuroscience and we can really be optimal humans that's sort of my feeling it's not just the absence of disease it's optimizing health and um, Ayurveda is the, to me the the one hundred percent toolbook for that. Mm, yeah, and you know I I love that you brought that up too because I was so my, I have my new book coming out soon and I was writing a chapter and you know I I kind of went down this rabbit hole right when you're doing research that happens very often <laughs> for sure totally related. but <laughs> yeah I was like okay this totally just went left field but I included it in my book totally not planned because I thought it was so crucial that people understand. So it was about generational curses. And I wanted to know, I didn't want to know the woo term of generational curse. I, I had someone on a podcast actually, and they were explaining, you know, oh, cells passed down from the mother. The mother went through trauma. Then it's already embedded in your DNA when she's pregnant. And I was like, there's more to this. And so I started reading and reading and reading. And I started finding these case studies of World War II and their kids and Holocaust mm. survivors and their children and how it's not our actual DNA, but it's the cells themselves, which are mutated and turned and they're, everything can be healed like that. And my mind was just blown. And so I started researching and researching and researching and I was blown away. I started looking at pictures of cells and it's like, you know, you can have someone who's been through an extreme amount of trauma or their parents have been through an extreme amount of trauma and it's actually not within our genes it's through that dna which has been mutated but then it starts talking about how we heal it and what it looks like after it's healed and what the process looks like and it's everything that you're talking about incorporated in like it physically changes our bodies our cells how we're how we tick and I just, my mind was just blown at how incredible the human body truly is. We're just walking miracles. Oh my goodness. That's so, so, so valid. And, you know, I think you bring up such a beautiful point of intergenerational trauma and the research around that is fascinating. And the science is still evolving and very mm. complicated. I've done a dive into that research too. And my my science mind is like, wow, this is, we're still really young in our It's new. Yeah. But From what I was reading, it was like only like 10 years they've been yes. researching it. And I was like, this is so fresh. Yeah, exactly. You're right on top of it. You're so, you're such an innovator. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> but I think it's important to point out, and I'm, and I'm sure you have in the past that the, the power of that intergenerational learning that's not in our conscious sphere these are things that are being held at that cellular level that are being passed down, whether it's um, emotional abuse, racial inequities, um, poverty. There are many aspects and ways in which that intergenerational shifts happen 
And the beauty of it is that through these lifestyle shifts and, and therapy and counseling as may be appropriate or, or other modalities for that healing, that the that an individual can have radical healing. Yeah. You know, it's not no one's destiny is 100 percent set. And I always like to encourage people to recognize that these traditional healing systems Trauma existed several thousand years ago, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. It's not a new phenomena for me. Yes. <laughs> or humankind, I should say. But, you know, at the end of the day, these these systems were very observant of all the cues that would lead people to be more in the more activated state of their of of the trauma history. And they had very deep and profound techniques that can partner with what we're doing now, whether it's traditional Chinese medicine, um, Qigong, yoga, pranayama, marma, you know, the acupuncture, acupressure points. There's so many different ways that those internal cues can probably be prompted positively through largely free things. That's the other piece of it. Healing doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. And this is a big big pet peeve of mine. I get, you know, I don't want to go off on a huge tangent on that, but um, oftentimes people feel that healing is inaccessible to them because the small concierge or direct primary care practices, which I totally support because the system is so fundamentally um, in disarray in certain ways, can be a limit for some people, literally. It's just a barrier to getting care. But there are some wonderful books and resources, podcasts like yours, where you can learn about these really actionable, doable daily steps that take your body back towards, walk it back towards balance and, you know, away from progression into disease. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I was just, just talking to someone about this on the dis and ease, you know, how it means so many things. And like you were saying, like healing, we hear healing and we immediately think dollar signs and it's all about our energy. And we're so able to do so much healing within ourselves that we, we miss the mark so often because we have to complicate things because we're human, right? That's what we yeah, do. It is. <laughs> Let's make this really complicated. Yeah. I'm, you know, to be honest, one of the most, pow- we mentioned it before, but I just can't say it enough. It's, it's so powerful for the body. It's sort of like the way to think about it is if you are, let's say we're a big fancy cruise boat and we're leaving New York and we're going to London and that leaving New York is the beginning of the day. Very small course corrections take us away from our target point or port, you could say, or towards it. And all those little decisions we make early in the morning, and if you're a shift worker, I'm sorry, it may not be applicable to you, but the the decisions that impact our our sensation and feeling of an early win, that dopamine, that dopamine pathways that happen when we make our bed, brush our teeth, or do some sort of morning practice, journal, you know, relax, meditate, yoga, whatever, mindfulness, however that is, those actually have such downstream cascade benefit that um, I just think people do not fully recognize the power of that morning routine of getting light into our eyes, soothing sounds to our ears, scraping the tongue, warm water, you know, perhaps some herbal tea, 
to wake up digestion. The day can be pretty different when you, you, for those that have that morning routine, they really notice like, wow, the day gets off kilter pretty quickly. And I think it, it can lead to the decisions that we're not as excited about in ourselves. Like, oh, well, I had that bag of chips because potato chips are my weakness. <laughs> you know, so, or I, I was in a doom scroll on social media for two hours when I know I would have felt better if I'd been doing something more creative. Or, you know, that that is actually sometimes a reflection of the early morning. And even how we sleep at night is dependent on some of the early in the day circadian cues. So I used to tell people with severe insomnia who'd had the like full workup for sleep apnea and other concerning things. Did you know that getting outside in the early dawn light could actually help your sleep? And they'd be like, yeah, whatever dog. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd come back and they'd say, Oh my gosh, you were uh, right. <laughs> you were right. I didn't anticipate that that actually could do it. And so, you know, it's pretty powerful to recognize that all those morning activities that we can do are free. They're all free. There's no charge with them. And so, you know, really connecting with a clinician that you can partner with to design your perfect morning routine is so, so important. If I had one piece of advice I could give the entire planet, it would be that one. Yeah. I, I feel like out of all the things that I did changing my life, that was having that sacred time. And when I don't do it, cause you know, kids has yeah, life. When sure. I don't do it, my world falls apart. Like I'm not even kidding you. Like I will have these like emotional mommy breakdowns that three o'clock every day. Like it's a hot mess. And mm-hmm. all I have to do is shift back to that. You know, even if it's me crawling out of bed to make sure that I create that space for myself, I know in my head that it's going to be so much better in a week, but it's just that, you know, and I love coming back to Mel Robbins, that five, four, three, two, one method. It's just getting in that habit and whether you have to rocket launch yourself out of bed. And that is truly what I had to do for the longest time because I struggled. I had a baby who didn't sleep. He was up all night and it was hard. hard. Not sleeping is. You know, that's an that's such a big conversation, you know. It really is. That's a podcast within itself. It really is. And that, you know, we are, unfortunately, as a society right now, dealing with some pretty profound ramifications of disordered Mm -hmm. sleep, whether you don't sleep deeply, you don't sleep long enough, you're being, you know, disruptions, you don't have a wind down routine in the evening. You know, there's a lot of different ways to think about it but the idea that I just invite people to explore what deep and restorative sleep could actually do to solve some of the things they're having and even sleep has been linked to weight changes to strokes to heart attack to memory changes to cancer you know not sleeping well which I think a lot of us being home or you know in a lot of tension over the last 18 months Sleep has definitely taken many people, their sleep routines have been impacted and their quality of sleep has been impacted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's contributing to this, you know, this just generalized sense of tension rising and ready to get back on to life and, you know, all things sort of just feeling unclear and uncertain. And I think that those feelings, those sensations can be amplified when we're not sleeping well. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And I, I think too, we've run on 
such masculine energy for so many years that it's been almost a badge of honor to, you know, oh, I slept three hours last night, yes. but I'm doing this, this, and this. And then like, it's not cool to kill yourself. Like, that's not, that's not <laughs> something to brag about, you know? Like, I know. It's like the bro culture, which medicine has a lot of that kind of like, oh yeah, you know, what, I don't even know the right word, but like, hey, show up at your own expense, meaning like, you know, it's a badge of honor that you didn't sleep for 46 hours. Meanwhile, like any sane person. So I finished residency in 2005. And um, right in that time span is when they adjusted the work hours. So I literally had 40 hour work shifts. And any, any sane person would say, I do not want you making clinical decisions for me when you've been working for 20 hours straight or 40 hours straight or these insane numbers. And, um, but I think a lot of doctors have sleep disorders because of the residency training is very hard to untrain your subconscious to pagers, beepers, being called to, you know, intense crisis situations in the middle of the night. It's hard to, it's hard to remember what that like, oh, I lay in the bed, it's peaceful, it's easy feeling. It's, there's this like a little bit of memory, cellular memory there that I think a lot of doctors need to look at. Yeah. And I think I love that you said that because I, I don't think that a lot of people realize the flip side of, you know, career choices and sacrifices and things that are made that really do affect you for the rest of your life. Oh, for sure. I, you know, I definitely am in my own mode of recovery from working in it for 20 years. That'll probably be a, you know, a journey till my last breath in its own way. It's a lot to, it's a lot for physicians to walk away from their careers, but I think we're going to see more and more. And Mm. I do think that will open the door because they'll take some of that healing that they inherently have to do and they'll innovate. They may partner with coaches and healers to create um, interesting ideas, interesting new pathways. So even though that efflex is happening, it's going to be a strain on people who need sort of direct primary care or other medical, you know, more intensive decision making. I do think there'll be this uh, an evolution and an efflex of ideas and innovation as they're reinventing themselves in their careers. At least that's what I saw a real renaissance for myself. And I'm hoping, and it's a big part of my mission to support physicians who are saying, wow, this was a big career, but I think there's other things I feel called to do. Mm. And um, supporting them to connect to beautiful other healers like yourself to know that there's, there is other ways of, of living and, and existing and approaching health and vitality than what they've been taught, which is largely a misnomer because they've not, we've not been taught anything about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one way or the highway. Yeah. It's really just disease management. And, and people may argue with me on that, but that was my experience. And I largely had to seek all of my education on how we can be vital, how we can be healthy, how we can be peaceful outside of the academic disease pathology origins of uh how medicine is is largely taught yeah i I didn't oh go ahead i was just gonna say i didn't have a single practical nutrition instruction in my entire training seven seven years four years undergrad four years med school three years residency i walked away with zero practical nutrition training zero practical stress management training 
zero practical sleep, uh, you know, sleep support, you know, helping like no practical things for those lifestyle pieces. I had to learn them all on my own or through other organizations that offered it as a continuing med medical education journey. Yeah. I, I just got in kind of a heated debate with someone actually, because we were discussing they're they're a little negative about the future with physicians and everyone getting fired and they were heroes and now they're losing their jobs and how intense it's been. Um, just the pendulum is just swinging everywhere. And I was like, you know what though? I, I disagree. I disagree that it's, you know, we're, we're doomed and life is over because I think that this has brought out such a beautiful part of healing, like you were talking about, that people are searching for more. People are pivoting, and these amazingly talented doctors and nurses who are forced to pivot are researching different things, and they're, the creativity that's coming out of it and the vast amount of healing that is now available to someone who maybe didn't have insurance, who now can work with someone one-on-one -on -one like you, who is educated and can truly help uh, from a core level and understand exactly what they're talking about. I think that's freaking beautiful. I think that's a blessing out of all of this. And I 100% agree. And, you know, we can take the path of feeding the the negativity or we can take and I'm not into toxic positivity either I mean I'm no. a realist like there's balance there's yin and yang right <laughs> yeah, exactly my husband's like oh negatron is here I'm like yes I am perfectly capable of being entirely <laughs> but and I'm not into toxic you know bypassing the reality of situations but mm -hmm. I, if my journey is any reflection and it was hard I will not kid you it was rugged it was painful it was deep it was dark in moments but the other side of that which is available it could be for nurses it could be for anyone who's been in the clinical environment nurse practitioners PAs nutritionists respiratory therapists LPNs doctors DOs um, even you know naturopaths acupuncturists you know people that have been dealing with the empathic responses to people in this COVID time so I think we're in a really interesting shift because yeah there, there is a very deep call for healing and we don't really know fully what's going to unfold and a lot of things are going to be different it's and I had to learn that when I left my career I had to learn okay this is a different financial reality this is a different emotional reality and in the end that was so positive that the, leaving those things behind as painful as we stay attached to them ends up actually being a good thing. If you can get the support or do the work within yourself, however it is one gets from A to B um, to really let go of things you, the way we thought things were going to be. The, the new reality is often deep, profound, rich, fulfilling, aligned, it's not perfect or happy all the time, but there's a sense of richness in it that maybe wasn't as present before because it was more of a default mode. Hey, this is where I am. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just going to autopilot. And yeah. I think a lot of people are moving out of autopilot, whatever that means, you know, however that's showing up. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh, I could talk, I, I could talk for hours. This is <laughs> We need a part two just on sleep alone. That's the truth. But it's been great to talk with you. Oh, my gosh. I am just so appreciative of you being patient and 
showing up for me today because I loved our conversation. It was absolutely amazing. And I know the audience will have gained so much from your knowledge and wisdom and just sharing with us. So where can we connect with you? Where's the best hub spot? Oh, thanks for asking. So you can find me on social media on pretty much every platform, including Pinterest with recipes and mindfulness and Ayurveda tips. Um, and Instagram, where I'll do some uh, occasional lives and conversations and share lots of the insight as it's occurring to me at D-O-C-T-O-R, so Dr. Siri, S-I-R-I, Chand, C-H-A-N-D, Dr. Siri Chand. So just that is my handle on all platforms. Uh, you are it just followed you. <laughs> so excited <laughs> to connect in the future. I'm like, you had me at recipes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's really a holistic approach, right? We can, we can really um, look at our lives in a very holistic way. So I'm so grateful for this conversation. I appreciate your time and your intention that you're put towards um, bringing, you know, novel and, and healing principles to your community. I'm, I'm grateful you're doing that. Thank you so very much. And we will definitely be in touch so soon. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. If you guys are interested in signing up for the Adventure Challenge, just head to www.theadventurechallenge.com and use code Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y 15 Again, that's Courtney15 at checkout and start adventuring. What this is, is it's a book that you get to scratch off an adventure at random, go, go out with your family and experience what spontaneity truly is. You have no idea what the adventure is. It comes with a snap camera, which is super fun. So you can take a picture of your adventure and then put it in the book. It is amazing. Head on over and check it out and get your fun on. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. This is my little labor of love, and I am so grateful for each and every one of you. As always, if you could subscribe, leave me a review, let me know what you think of the podcast. It means so much to me. If there is any questions you guys ever have after an episode or a topic that you would like to have on the show, send me a DM at The Sweetest Little Life on the gram and I am more than happy to make that come to life for you. Have a beautiful day. As always, shine bright. I hope today's episode inspired you to follow your purpose, to follow your direction, to follow your intuition, and know that there is no right or wrong path. Nothing is in cement. At any time, we can pivot. It just takes bravery. It takes trusting yourself and knowing what your dharma is. And when you step into that, everything forms into alignment for you.